Welcome to Tip of the Tongue, a podcast on the Nitty Grits Network, where we explore the intersection of food and drink and museums. This is Liz Williams. We're here today with Cheyenne Edmondson. She's the program coordinator at the Farm Journal Foundation. And we're here at the National Association of State Departments of Agriculture. And we're very happy to be here in the Washington, D.C. area. Thank you for being here. I know that the Farm Journal Foundation is interested in many topics that are associated with agriculture, but I want to hear about the ones that you think are the most important. So let's start just talking about them. Yeah. So uh, a little background on my experience in agriculture. Okay. So I grew up um, on a family farm in its uh, southwest corner of Minnesota, so right on the border of Minnesota and South Dakota. We raise, my dad raises cow-calf pears, and then we do corn and soybeans, so agriculture's always been a really significant element of my life growing up, and then it's really paved a way throughout my career path as well. So I studied at a land-grant university such as South Dakota State, or such as South Dakota State, but that's where I went. Uh, it's one of the land-grant universities. Yes. And then I, after that, I worked with Hunger U to share about how, and the Hunger U is an initiative that Farm Journal Foundation used to partake in and go to universities across the country. And that was just sharing about hunger and global food, or just even a national basis food security um, issues within that surrounding area of that university on a national basis. So I worked for them and I did some teaching and agricultural teaching for a little while. And that all um, led me to get my master's at another land grant university at Oklahoma State. And so that must have been very different. Yes, very different from geographically di- different. Yeah. I went to a land grant university, I went to LSU. So, LSU, yeah. very uh-huh. neat. Yes. So, those are um, examples of universities that are really beneficial as far as agricultural research mm-hmm. and development. We have a lot of research organizations that partner with those land grants to establish, you know, different conservation practices, sustainability practices, both in soil um, side of agriculture, in the food and breeding, or like the crops and the breeding side of agriculture. Um, Even, I know Oklahoma State has a very uh, strong food science program, so they're even doing research on how to make food more food uh, shelf stable and Those are the things like that kind of research is what we are advocating for when we go. We have five segments in our foundation, that uh, five activities that we do, and that includes one of them is working with farmers in different states and having them go to D.C. to share how agricultural research and extension has been really beneficial to them. And so those that to me is one of the most um, beneficial things that I think we have so many beneficial things, but that's one that really strikes home for me because I grew up working in, uh, being involved in 4-H extension mm-hmm. education, and that was a very agricultural based, and I uh, grew up going to the county office to grab flyers about different research practices, and my dad practicing with cover crops. Those are all things that, like, starts at the land-grant university and gets passed down to the farmer, and is, um, hopefully very applicable for them to actually establish on their farming operation. So that one's probably the most dear to me um, and one I appreciate a lot and see a lot of value in. 
Okay, so tell me about some of the issues that you're dealing with. One of the ones that we kind of talked about were some of the the international food security issues and things like that. You want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, so um, investing, so like I said, we have farmer ambassadors um, from various states. So not every state do we have a farmer ambassador. Some we have multiple farmer ambassadors, but we have them from, we have at least 30 farmer ambassadors, I'd say. And they, like I said, go to DC to advocate for agricultural development and research. And um, one of the things that we see value in is if we support agricultural research and development here, it provides support for economic development and provides us jobs. That research is still applicable internationally. And so we can use what we've learned at these land-grant universities as far as research and implement them on an international basis in so the developing world. Are you actually part of the implementation or do you just share the research? Yes, we just share the research and share how investing in agricultural research can be beneficial. So who do you share it with? I mean, I, I understand you're sharing it with yeah. some countries overseas, but are you sharing it through their departments of agriculture? Is there a Department of Agriculture everywhere? Are there international organizations that you share it through? Yeah, so actually, so we're just sharing it with the policymakers, like the um, representatives and senators, our farmers are sharing how it's been beneficial to them. So that when there's a bill that comes around and it's asking for agricultural research, Mm -hmm. that they support that bill and ensure that there's funding for it. So beyond that, we aren't necessarily sharing it with... um, Not directly. Not directly. Mm -hmm. We're encouraging that funding that can help other organizations get the fundings that then help them implement those practices there. Okay. So um, we're kind of like the like farmer ambassadors that are share our farmer ambassadors truly are the ones that have the story to tell mm-hmm. and that's why we have them is that they're the ones in all regions of the country sharing about their uh, unique operations some of them um, are conventional farmers some of them are organic some do both some do crops some do vegetables some do cow-calf operations and then there's one that has a quarter horse operation so there's a wide variety of backgrounds in our farmer ambassadors and they're the ones wanting to share with the policymakers on hey this is valuable and uh, we want you to know that we care about this and we want to see that research hopefully get in the hands of not only farmers like us but also on an international basis so what about, for example, what are you doing in the world of water? I know there are a lot of places where mm-hmm. agriculture is the biggest use of water in particular regions, mm-hmm. and that causes water shortages because water is transferred from here to there yeah. and all of that sort of thing. How um, are you addressing some of those issues? Yeah, so water is so critical within agriculture. Um, and then supplying, we're right now in some regions of the world in very much in a water crisis. That's even in America, we're struggling with supplying enough water for domestic use and for agriculture because, you know, the domestic side still needs food 
and you can only supply that through through water. So we don't directly like we don't directly do any research into water and different conservation practices. But like I said, our program is advocating for research funding, and that research funding also includes that includes soil health, cons conservation, nutrition, anything within global uh, development, and then even water. Like a lot of research goes into different breeding practices that a crop might be more drought resistance and that that's just like we encourage just in general agricultural research and that's going to probably encompass some water research it's going to encompass breeding practices conservation practice nutrition we're ensuring that that the the bills and everything that's passed that encourages research is supported by the members of congress from each of those states that our farmer ambassadors are are from Okay. That makes sense. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And so are you also looking into transportation issues, issues of genetic engineering, any of those kinds of, of things? Yeah, those are all elements like it's a big branch, you know, you get into you get into global um, development and agricultural development and the complications. It's so intricate, you know, like it all Well everything uh, is connected. So yes. you can't you can't avoid that. Yes. So, and we don't specifically work um, in those, like, transportation specifically. What was the other one you had mentioned? Um, let's see. We talked about uh, GMOs. Genetically modified. Yeah. Right. So we just simply support the, like, we support research that it might be on an organic basis. It might be supporting uh, genetically modified. We believe giving farmers the tools that make them successful, they have that option mm -hmm. to pick which one they feel is best for their operation. Uh -huh. And seeing farmers be successful and be most importantly sustainable. That's our biggest thing. Like how can we help them, you know, be efficient in their production and make a living, but also how can they maintain their farm operation for the next generation. So, and that is a broad umbrella as well. And that's literally when we, we advocate for research, it's just finding different tools and resources for those farmers to use. So it's a very broad umbrella, but we're just the connecting the farmers with the policymakers. And then from there, there's different organizations like the Foundation of Agriculture Foundation of Food and Agriculture Research is another nonprofit. And they're similar to us, but they connect scientists, like agricultural and food scientists, to policymakers to engage them in the research aspects specifically. So you bring the farmers together with policymakers. They yep. bring researchers and scientists to yep. the policymakers. Yep. Okay, but then do you all communicate too? Yeah, we actually just went to an event that they hosted called Foster Our Future, a very neat event that collaborated with a lot of different organizations that are in both nonprofits and private sector companies that are advocating for a more sustainable agricultural system and and doing that through agricultural research by funding that. So we just kind of encourage the farmers to share their story and hear, uh, have policymakers hear it from their perspective. And then we go to different universities and different events just to share that perspective with other people, constituents and students, and engage them in the conversation of um, how farming is directly from a farmer, which is one of our farmer ambassadors. So, so we were discussing bee colony collapse and the issue of, of, of pollination and bees and mm -hmm. all of that sort of thing. What 
is the most recent research and what are you all uh, doing right now with regard to bees? Bees. Yes, so that's another umbrella of like whatever research we just in general, like I've mentioned a million times now, I'm sorry, uh, is, um, you know, general research that's going to help make agriculture and farmers more productive and efficient and help them be also sustainable. That is another segment of it that could include pollination. And right now... Um, what, are the, what are the farmers saying about pollination? Is it an issue for them? Yeah, it's definitely something that they keep in mind. So I know I crop scouted in Nebraska, actually. And so when you crop scout, you go into the fields. We did a lot of corn and soybeans, and we'd be checking for different insects and pests. So there'd be pests, there'd be aphids, there'd be... Um, Oh, lady beetles. There'd be all sorts of different pests that would be in that field, and that would hinder the production of that corn. But you always check and you see, is this at a level or a threshold that's going to impact the production of it? And if it's not to a level, you analyze it and uh, you do some calculations, and if it's not to a level that's going to be detrimental to the production of the corn, you take a loss and you just say, you know what, I'll have the pests, and you don't a lot of farmers there, like they didn't want to spray any mm-hmm. um, pesticides if they didn't have to, because you also, when you go crop scout, you also are checking for the beneficial insects, insects, yeah, which are pollinators, and even some of those insects and those pests would eat the other pests. Yeah, more right. Like the ladybugs eat aphids for yes, sure. Yeah. Exactly. Uh-huh. So you take that in mind, and you you think about it, and you're like, okay, and that that was a biological control established. So. Mm-hmm. Um, you take that into account, and farmers think about those things because investing in pesticide is ex- incredibly expensive. In addition to the fact that you're going to hinder your healthy population, so that's just to because me because one... the pesticides are not selective; they just mm-hmm. kill everything, yeah, exactly. mostly. Mostly. Mm-hmm. So there is like there is a thought process that farmers put into it, and they really truly want to be as environmentally savvy and aware as possible because that's in their interest to be that way yes so i definitely think adding more research into that segment and encouraging policymakers to see the value in just general agricultural research that includes that broad umbrella of water sustain like maintaining water resources maintaining soil structures even nutritionally looking into that and then even like the pollination it's very big and important right now and certain things like even genetically modified crops have helped reduce some of the pesticide use Uh and that's helped repopulate some um uh you know it prevents um uh some pesticide use that's killing some of those pollinators Mm -hmm. that that has been killing them in the past Mm -hmm. so um, and that's all come through agricultural research. So it's a slow, steady process, but we're slowly getting, I think, better at knowing what to um, invest in and research and how to establish that to the farmer. Because ultimately, you want to make it applicable and easy for the farmer to establish on their operation. Right. So how many farmers, as far as you know, are actually bringing in bees at, at appropriate times and how many of them are simply relying on nature yeah. to, uh, to, to take care of pollination? 
Yeah, actually, I don't know. I, I don't want to give you a number because I'm not 100% sure. I'm sure it depends on what they're growing, too. Yeah, it'd be highly dependent on what they're growing. I don't know specific farmers that are, ex like, you know, bringing in pollinators specifically. But I do know it's something that they are aware of and um, thinking about in their operations. So how much do they, for example, plant plants that are attracting pollinators in say to surround their fields or within their fields or or is that like takes up too much productive land so they don't do that i mean um i i don't want to speak for any farmers because i i um actually pretty new to farm journal foundation but um i'm sure there's some that potentially have established them i mean there's definitely areas around a field that you could utilize without hindering your production, but I don't know exact numbers, and I don't know which of our farmers maybe use it. If any, I mean, there could be farmers outside of what we have representing our organization that do. Well, so let's talk a little bit about pollinators besides bees. Bees. Yeah. What other pollinators are there besides bees? What other insects might uh, might be helpful in this yeah, um, so milkweed is a common weed that sometimes is killed because um, it's a, a weed typically that gets killed when uh -huh. it gets one herbicide. But that's, I'd say monarchs and butterflies are all things that are helping pollinate um, different um, crops and plants in general. Um, I'm not an expert in pollination. Okay, so but, I don't but wanna, various butterflies and yeah. maybe moths Moth, uh, yes, would be... Um, would be additional pollinators mm -hmm. besides bees. Yes. Okay. I think um, I just I think there's so so very many issues. There are also international issues and yeah. um, dealing with um, thing crops that are brought in, um, mm -hmm. exporting crops. I know that I was sent by the U.S. Department of Agriculture in conjunction with the um, U.S. State Department to Russia to help them sell chicken and pork. <laughs> That's a really cool experience. <laughs> yes, it really was. So yeah. the idea was that if we could go take, we gave master classes mm -hmm. to chefs who worked at large institutions mm -hmm. like hospitals, nursing homes, universities where they were providing food for thousands of people every day. Mm -hmm and gave them the story of the pig, and for example, or the chicken. Mm -hmm. and, and then we had chefs actually teaching them new recipes for those things so that they were able to uh, perhaps be in a position to, in putting their, their orders together, say, mm -hmm. well, well, we'll add chicken. Yeah. Or we'll add pork because those are not grown in enough abundance in um, Russia mm -hmm. to um, feed everyone that wants them. Mm -hmm. um, and it was a wonderful, wonderful experience. And we had maybe 35 or 40 chefs from multiple institutions. But if each one of them was providing, let's say, 10,000 meals a day, which is not an exaggeration, yeah. um, and you had... 35 of them you know you're talking about a lot of meals that mm -hmm. that would need to be provided for and it, it was a really a, to me a very innovative way for the department of agriculture to 
to try to convince people to buy more pork and chicken because you were actually going to the people producing it for the people who were going to eat it. So you were one step away from the consumer. And those were the people saying, we need this. And I thought that was a a pretty wise and innovative way for them to market. Because it certainly wasn't just to the the Department of Agriculture in Russia. Mm-hmm. You know, this was way beyond that. This was much more micro marketing than yeah. that. That's really cool. That's very. So, have you uh, done that sort of research where you've spoken to other foundations in other places that are doing their own agricultural research on an international basis? Mm-hmm. 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 Um, not, I don't. Not that I know of. Not I like. I haven't gotten into that segment of it yet, and I'm not sure if my our CEO has um, a little bit. Like I said, I'm, I'm still pretty new, uh-huh. so I'm learning, but I know there's a, we want to get more on an international basis in sharing about agriculture and advantages of, um, you know, nutritionally uh, advantages um, in the diet of certain animal source proteins and um, uh, crops uh-huh. and vegetables and everything, um, but uh, not to that extent, I don't believe. Okay, one more question, yeah. and then I think we'll wrap it up. Okay. So my good. question has to do with the issues of seed diversity, mm-hmm. and I know that there is a lot of seed development and crop development where you have so much monoculture that you're all, everybody, even if it's different farmers, are using basically the same seed sources. And so there's much less individual decisions about seeds. And there's always that worry that if there's some major disaster, some weakness in that particular strain, that you won't have some other varieties to, uh, to, to take over. I'm reminded of the phylloxera epidemic that attacked the wineries in France in the 19th century, which almost killed wine production. And because there had been migration to the United States and those wineries, who the people from the wineries, had actually brought cuttings to the United States so that, I know it's not seeds, but it's the same yeah. concept, and those, those vines had been established in the U.S. Yeah. And the only way they got over this phylloxera plague yeah. was to bring the cuttings from the U.S., which for some reason were not susceptible to the mm-hmm. phylloxera, and they replanted, and it saved the wine industry. Yeah. Um, and it's something that could d- definitely happen, where yeah. you could have a whole collapse of the system because of some kind of plague that the, the plants those particular seeds could not fight. Yeah. And so what what kind of research is being done that you know of um, to, to deal with that? Like I said, I am not an expert. Like, uh, I know expert you're not, that, but you, I'm just talking but, in, general. in general. And is that something that farmers are concerned about at all? Yeah, I think it's probably something that crosses their mind maybe at times. And I think investing again like investing in agricultural research that's a broad umbrella that could include like it it includes you know there's a lot of uh universities doing research into native 
plants and um, keeping those, I think they call them sometimes heritage seeds, mm -hmm. and they keep those on file and, you know, keep germplasm. Seed and seed libraries. Seed and libraries like and stuff. Yeah. And so, like, our advocating for research and development would include, in a sense, that aspect as well. It's all aspects of agricultural research. And I know um, there's a lot of research being done on seeing if those will, with this environment now, if those heritage seeds will still grow in this environment. And I think it's something that people and researchers are definitely keeping in mind and keeping on hand in case something um, like that possibly happens. And that's just another form of agricultural research that they are consistently keeping in mind and investing time into uh, verifying um, and proving through different uh, experiments and researching. So thank you, Cheyenne. I really appreciate your talking to me today. You've been listening to Tip of the Tongue on the Nitty Grits Network of the National Food and Beverage Foundation. Visit us at our studio at the Southern Food and Beverage Museum in New Orleans. You can find us and subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. I'm Liz Williams. Thanks for listening.